Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Um, we're currently studying the wonderful little book of First Peter, and last week we talked about how this is a letter written to a dispersed people. So if you uh, look at the letter of First Peter, that very first line says, to the elect exiles of the dispersion. So the context of this book is to people who are scattered and who are suffering. They're fatigued, they're downtrodden. And so much of what Peter is doing in this book is helping these people lay hold of the hope of Jesus. This is so important for us to hear all the time. First Peter is God's word in all seasons of the year, but it's especially significant right now because we're dispersed, we're scattered, and many of us are suffering. And last week, we began chapter one by looking at how he gives the people um, reasons to rejoice in the midst of their dispersion and then also perspective for their grief, ways to understand their suffering. And this week, we're going to finish chapter one, what Mike uh, read, and see the ways in which Peter speaks into a unique dispersion side effect, which I call the dispersion sludge, uh, which is the weirdest sermon title I've ever had before, but I really like it, The the Dispersion Sludge. Um, Let me explain that. Some friends of ours had come back to Wisconsin uh, right as the wave of coronavirus was sweeping across the globe and about to crash onto the shores of America. And they came home and right as the shelter and home came into place, but they also had just come back from a hotspot elsewhere in the world. And so they went to an even more intense self kind of imposed quarantine So no going outside, no going to work, no doing anything like grocery dropped up on the front porch, like hand reaches out and grabs it and goes back really quick. Um, Super quarantine. And you get this because this is our life. And towards the end of that, about three weeks into it, I called him and said, hey, man, how are you doing? How's your family doing? And he said that all the days and the hours and the minutes and times of the day were just blurring together and melting into one another until his weeks just seemed like this disgusting, thick sludge. The dispersion sludge. I wonder if you can relate to that. To sludge life. Hashtag sludge life. We're going to start a hashtag. Um, I certainly can. At the beginning of coronavirus, we were all super sharp. Um, pandemic fears and economy fears and all those things, which still exist, but at the beginning, it was so intense. We were all so alert um, with fear and preparation and doing all this. But now, as I've connected with so many of you, um, I think that we are now battling another fight in coronavirus, and that is our mental health in the midst of, of this season. You see, what's happened for so many of us is that we've lost our anchor points in life, Um, rhythms in life. Most of us had work and relational cadences to our week that helped us demarcate things and have a sense of well-being and health and rhythm. And those were really important. They helped us keep our bearing. God even commands the people to have a cadence to their week uh, in the beginning of creation with the Sabbath. But those have been taken away and the effect on us is disorientation. It's like we're living on a space station that doesn't have a sunrise or a sunset or gravity. So there's no like up or down and life becomes this amorphous blob. This just disoriented, sludgy mess of an existence. And disorientation numbs us. It dazes us and it drugs us 
We get drunk on the sludge. Hours begin to blur together. Truth and falsehood begin to like gray and kind of dissipate in a fog. Right and wrong begin to blur together and it starts to manifest itself in our life in some unique ways. Like you are really stressed out and you're really frustrated and aggravated and you're not sure why. Your marriage is really strained and you can't point to a specific piece of it, uh, but it seems really attacked. Your relationship with your kids is strained. Your fuse is shorter than usual. Um, and your home begins to seem not like a shelter in place, but it starts to seem like the battle itself. Or here's a big one. You find that you're suddenly tempted to reach for old comforting vices and entertainment to kind of stimulate the dullness of the sludge. This is where before you know it, you're up really late at night binging on Easter candy and watching a TV show you don't even like, but you don't know what you're doing anymore. Um, I don't want to pick on Netflix, but I was reading a New York Times article this week and the major headline was, a lot of us are turning to Netflix in a tough time. What an astonishing phrase. It went on to say that there, Netflix in the first quarter of this year gained 15.7 million new subscribers. Just as a fact that we're all turning to Netflix. And I was reading, I was expecting some critical commentary on that. I was expecting the New York Times to be like, wow, maybe this is an issue we're all turning to Netflix. Because at the time, the most watched thing on Netflix was a perverse and voyeuristic reality TV show. The number one thing that America was watching. But no, no critical commentary. The New York Times just said, if that has you wondering what to watch, we've compiled a list of several things to watch. And then it said, we'll even tell you what to watch if you're stressed. It's almost like the New York Times is our therapist and they're prescribing for our anxiety, Netflix, literally. But Netflix can never fully treat the sludge of COVID-19. It anesthetizes it it can stimulate the dullness, but beneath it, there is still the disorientation and hopelessness. I don't say this to be a curmudgeon um, or to guilt or shame anyone. I watch Netflix. I have it. I have had a short fuse. Watching Netflix is not wrong, but if we turn to it in the midst of our trouble, that's a problem. So part of my prep for this sermon has been my own confession and self-awareness. The reason I say this is because 1 Peter has so much to teach us about living through the dispersion sludge with hope, with purpose, with life and joy. But before we look at it, we must address the problem. We must learn to beware of the situation that we're in. We have to call this out and combat it because this is a context in which the enemy would love to draw us from the hope and love of God. In our pilgrimage in this world, sometimes the enemy is like right in front of you. It's visible. Um, it's ferocious. You can point at it and your senses are alert. But sometimes our enemy can just get at us by numbing us and disorienting us and kind of putting us to sleep. And sometimes that's more effective than a frontal attack. Armies have done this for all of history. If you can't beat them, just get them drunk. Make them comfortable. Distract them. Throw them a good party and then they're defenseless. My favorite example of this is the General Charles Lee in the American Revolution, who also wanted to be commander in chief. And we need to praise God that George Washington was our first president and not Charles Lee. 
because in the middle of the revolution, he was coming in the middle of war and he stopped with a couple of his troops to have an evening of licentiousness and partying at this little tavern in the middle of nowhere. And the British caught him in his nightgown and took him off. Coronavirus and economic tumult are visible ferocious enemies, uh, but our secret life, our disorientation is another front of the battle. First Peter is, Peter's gonna say at the end of this book that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we refuse to be outwitted by Satan. We are not ignorant of his designs. So that's what we wanna let the word of God speak into this morning. And so grab your Bible with me. Uh, I actually do want you to grab your Bible. Uh, you're not too cool to grab your Bible at home, even if you're by yourself. I really want you to look into it. Uh, my words are not what's important this morning. The Word of God is what's important. And so I want you to interact with the Word of God as I am as well. Um, so turn with me to 1 Peter. We're going to be reading verse 13 to 16 here. Thinking about all of that and the dispersion sludge, hear the Word of God. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There's one big idea I want to draw out of this, and that is that in the dispersion sludge, the Lord calls us to a holy alertness. In the dispersion sludge, the Lord calls us to a holy alertness. This is the central thrust of this whole section. Peter's calling the diaspora in their suffering, in their grief, not to be numbed and conformed or despairing, but to be holy and alert and awake. Verse 13 begins with, therefore, and uh, you always got to find out. This is the classic stupid little anecdote in Bible reading. You got to decide why the therefore is therefore. Um, and that little word is so significant because it's the difference between law and gospel. It's the difference between this being a word of hope or one of condemnation, whether or not that word therefore is there. Because if we're not careful, the call to holy alertness could seem just like another thing that you have to do in your coronavirus time. Um, I hate my inbox right now because everybody around the world is telling me things I need to do. And I know that I'm participating in that and we send you emails and stuff, but this is why the therefore is important. It's not like, watch this, you know, give to this charity, read this book, practice this yoga, organize your house this way. And then from Jesus, be holy and alert. Um, it's not tacking it on to everything else because this isn't another thing we have to accomplish. It's a grace that Peter is encouraging us to receive. The therefore is referring to what Peter says in the beginning of chapter one, which we studied last week. Jesus rose from the dead. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Our trials are temporary. God is purifying our faith in the midst of our suffering. 
Jesus has ushered in salvation, which the prophets had long foretold. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. That's not a command. It's news. It's not law. It's gospel. Hope has come. Hope exists. Hope will win. The therefore is thus a beacon. It's a clarion call to just grab it. But you don't have to do that yourself. And after the therefore is when these three amazing images come up. The first is to prepare your minds for action. You see that in verse 13? And the Greek is literally girding the loins of your mind. I think it's interesting the Bible translator decided not to translate it that way. I wish they would have because it's so much more epic. Girding the loins of your mind. That's not probably something you said this week. Um, But the image comes from ancient culture in the Old Testament. And guys wore long robes back then. And when they wanted to run, they couldn't run in their long robes. So they would take their robes and they would pull it up between their legs and tuck it into their belt. And I've asked Randy Berkey, our church warden, to come and demonstrate that for you now. And uh, just kidding. Gosh, I wish. Yeah, we have a video of it, actually, uh, of him running. No, so these guys had two modes to their, their clothes. They had hangout mode and relax mode, and then they had action mode, which was gird, gird your loins, get ready, be prepared. And Peter is saying, put your mind in action mode right now. Keep it sharp. Don't think you're in peacetime. This is wartime. Don't tap out. Don't get caught off guard in your nightgown. And then he follows it with the second parallel image, which is saying a similar thing of being sober-minded. This is another way of saying stay sharp. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk on alcohol. Also, don't get drunk on the sludge. Don't get drunk on fear. Don't get drunk on the news. Stay sober. And then he finishes this triad with that beautiful exhortation. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, take all that sobriety, take all that alertness and readiness and point it somewhere. Point it on the grace of Jesus. Hallelujah. So hear the word of God this morning. There is an anchor for the soul. There is a point around which your life right now can be oriented. There's a North Star which the sludge can never cover up or obscure. Even in our disorientation, Peter has reminded us that we have a living hope. And he's calling us to wake up. He's throwing water in our face. It's easy to be seduced by the sirens. It's easy to be lost in the darkness of the forest. And he's exhorting us to stay sharp. And not to take our eyes off of the truth and the beauty and the authority of Jesus. In the disorientation and hopelessness of coronavirus, the gospel orients us around grace and hope. Let me say that again. In the disorientation of coronavirus, the gospel orients us around grace and hope. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you need a North Star right now. Netflix can't do that for you. Politicians can't do that for you. Even family can't do that for you. But Jesus can. He is, as Revelation says, the bright and morning star. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he follows up that exhortation to alertness with a negative. Look at it with me in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
This is the opposite reaction we could have, which is in our disorientation of wanting to grope for something to help in the midst of so much suffering or dullness or whatever. Uh, we reach back for old vices or other things that we had experienced in our former days. Um, old coping, coping mechanisms that destroy us. Um, I've become aware of how tempted I am to kind of regress into old habits in this season when I'm all alone and by myself, uh, which I thought were behind me. And I just want to encourage you in whatever ways that you have seen Jesus take ground in your life, uh, whether it's a love for him or getting involved in a church community that is feeding you life and light, um, any way that, that Jesus has gained ground in your life, beware uh, lest the enemy would love to take that ground back right now as we are dispersed. But we are not outwitted by Satan. We're not ignorant of his schemes. And then he goes on in verse 15, and this is where he says what to do instead of being conformed. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And this is the mic drop of this whole section, uh, the holiness of God. Everything else is revolving around this and bringing you to it. And that classic, it's like that classic teaching from Leviticus, which he quotes that the holiness of God is to be both the example and the reason for our own holiness. So in our dispersion, we remain set apart. Even in the secrecy of our own homes, when no one else is looking, the holiness of God matters. Remember the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus talks about again and again. The Father's in the secret place. Your real performance is the one you do by yourself when only the Father is watching. The inside of the cup is more important than the outside. Don't clean the outside and leave the inside rotten. So don't believe the lie that your life in solitude is not real life. I know we feel like we're all waiting till life starts again, and to an extent that's true, but your life right now matters. Even by yourself, God calls out to you, be holy for I am holy. And why? Why should you care about staying sharp and reaching out for this grace? Well, look at verse 17, because Peter's going to tell us, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So why? Well, for one, God the Father judges impartially. Um, now is not the time to think that what we do doesn't matter. It's not the time to let good and evil and right and wrong blur together in truth and falsehood. And therefore, we are to keep the holy, life-giving fear of God throughout our time of COVID-19. That phrase, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So to retool a really famous, uh, hard-hitting Jesus quote, do not fear the disease which can kill the body. Do not fear the economy that can destroy your finances but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And that's intense, but that's Jesus. That's not me. But then beyond that, the other reason Peter gives is that Jesus has ransomed us. He entered into our suffering. He died so that you could be free from those old ways of life. So why then would we knowingly let ourselves be numbed and disoriented out of the truth that Jesus literally spilled his blood to redeem you from? Praise God. Our faith and our hope are in God. And this is also a reminder that whatever we've done, Jesus died to forgive us of those things. 
We have a confession today in our service because all of us have not been holy. And this is why we come together to worship Jesus Christ, because he died for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. So let this be a word of challenge. If it's not, then we're not reading 1 Peter correctly, because Peter wants to call you. He wants to wake you up, gird the loins of your mind, get ready for action, don't be numbed, but also hear the gospel again. Jesus rose from the dead. He died to forgive our sins. We're going to have a confession in a second, and step into that confession with joy. That God forgives you whatever has been happening in coronavirus, but know that he's calling you to new action and to new hope in Jesus. Let's finish out uh, at verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For... All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And I love that First Peter finishes this section with, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Hallelujah. I love that Peter finishes with love and scripture. He finishes by reminding us that God's word remains forever. Um, all things will pass away, but not God's word. And so if our North Star is the living hope of the resurrection... Forgive my cheesy analogy, but then the word of God is our compass. As cheesy as that is, it's true. The written word of God bears witness and testifies to the word made flesh. Jesus is the capital W word and the scriptures point us to him. Jesus says this to people one time. You search the scriptures because you think that in in them you have life, but it is they that bear witness about me. So if you want the orientation of the gospel, in the midst of the sludge, if you're hearing this right now and you're like, please get me out of my sludge, you must feast on the word of God. That's what it's there for. It's a compass. How else are you going to hear about the hope? How else are you going to remember it when the sludge numbness and fog begins to separate your mind? How else will you know what kind of hope it is? The scriptures are our compass. If we forsake God's word, it it will be bad for us. Um, And just to say, nothing else replaces this. There are no other practices, even as good as they are, that can replace feasting on the word of God as a compass. Meditation can't do it. Um, Practices of gratitude alone cannot do it. Other books cannot do it. Nothing else but the living and abiding word of God can be that compass that we so desperately need. And that's what 1 Peter finishes on. All flesh is like grass, It fades, but the word of God endures forever. So receive Peter's water in the face. Hear the therefore of the gospel. No matter what you've done, God has risen from the dead. Jesus has died for your sins. There is forgiveness that's offered for you. And not only is there forgiveness, there is a way out of the sludge. There's a way into an orientation that is outside of the craziness and the pain of our life. Uh, that is an anchor for the soul that we can cling to. And let us set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.